Baron, I feel like we've started this podcast already. <laughs> we have. <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Come on, Dre. Come on, Dre. It's part of the This atmosphere. has to stay with the podcast. Yes, this yeah. is the natural beginning yeah, of every good, podcast. Good, good. Yeah, no, we're really good at sort of, yeah, just starting professionally. Hi, welcome to That Reminds Me Of, a podcast about film and the films that remind us of that film. You're here with Baron and the Doc. And the Maestro. Do we need another drink? Yes, we do. Yeah. Welcome to the show, um, Baron. How are you? I'm really good, Doc. I'm really good. We've already started our conversation with um, Joe and uh, Indy. Thank you. I was, I was like confused about Indiana or Indy. No, you're um, fine. We saw your film last night. It was a really like special screening, I thought. It mm. felt like you had family there and, and all yeah. the people that were involved. Um, a lot of horror fans had showed up as well. And it just had like the perfect vibe for, you know, premiering your film in Australia, which we should say is You'll Never Find Me. And this is not your, this is not your first premiere. You've had a world premiere as well, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. We premiered about a month and a half ago at Tribeca, which was, which was amazing. But it was so good playing in Australia for an Australian crowd and, yeah. and um, yeah, having some family be able to come and see it was great. It was actually in many ways quite a lot more nerve-wracking. Yeah, it I, was. I found. Yeah, yeah. it's then, kind of like, you know, Tribeca is across the other side of the world in New York. So you kind of go there and you go, stakes are low because we don't know a single person here, so it's fine. But yeah, we had a few more people that we knew, a few familiar faces last night. So it definitely was more nerve-wracking, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. Screening here. Really can you tell the audience and us yeah. how you pitched this film or what you would say the synopsis is? So this film is set on a dark and stormy night at the back of a isolated caravan park in an unnamed part of Australia. And basically the film is about this solitary resident, this older man living at the back of the caravan park who has a strange woman come and knock on his door in the middle of the night. And the film is an hour and a half uh, in continuous time of you watching these two characters interact with each other and try to discover each other's motives. So that's the film. It's two characters, one location, and that kind of typical dark and stormy night premise that we have a bit of fun with in the movie. So tell me if we got this right. It was written by you, Indy. Yeah. Directed by you both. Yeah. Edited by you, Joe. Yeah. But yeah. also, a director I, I, and editor always work together. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. It was a yeah. very much a team, uh, team effort. And it stars Brendan Rock, Jordan Cowan, or Cowan. 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 Yeah. And you've worked with Brendan Rock on a few projects. We've seen a couple of your shorts, previous shorts, with him. Yeah. It's great to see him back again. Yeah. Um, and of course, you've worked with Jordan as well, right? On a yeah. previous short. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit, like where this all started. There's a, there's a short film that exists with this two, these two cast members. There's some similarities there perhaps yeah. um, in setup. How do you come about the feature? Well, yeah, like everyone's dream when you start filmmaking is to, to do a feature, but the realities of that are really difficult. Um, so yeah, we started with short films and we kind of always had that in mind, that goal of, of doing a feature, but we always thought it was a very far off prospect and you know everyone says how difficult it is to get the funding together which is very true and you kind of often get stuck in development limbo where you've got this great idea and a script but you can't get cast attached and because you can't get cast attached you can't get financing and years pass and all that kind of stuff which is just the reality of filmmaking but we made a short film with Brendan Rock our, actually our first short was with him and we really loved working with him. It's cool Connect. Yeah, Cool Connect. And that was just like a straight drama, a 16 minute 
one take conversation between two people. We thought it was amazing, so then our next script we kind of wrote for him so that we could specifically yeah. use him again and actually have him on screen this time. Mm. And that was called The Recordist. When we made that film, we also worked for the first time with Jordan. We'd seen her in another local short film. We thought she was amazing. So yeah, we made that short film with the two of them. We really loved working with them and we think they're both uber talented. So then we thought, okay, let's do a feature <laughs> and we'll write it specifically for these two actors that we know. Um, because we already know they work really well together. We already have a shorthand with them. And yeah, we think they're really talented. So we kind of had this idea because we went over to Austin Film Festival in America for Cool Connect, our short film. And there's a, a filmmaker over there, Trey Edward Schultz, who um, has made a series of amazing films, but he was premiering his film Waves at the festival. And we're really massive fans of his because of It Comes at Night. We'd watched that film. We oh, loved yeah. it. Yeah. And so we saw his name in the program, like, oh, we've got to go see his new film. And after we saw that, he did a Q&A and he kind of talked about how he got his career kick-started. And it was because he did a micro-project feature. And he got his family and friends together, shot it in his family home. His auntie was the lead actress, who's amazing. He starred in the film, which we would never do because <laughs> we're terrible <laughs> actors. Um, but you, that means you've tried it. <laughs> high school. Okay. Looking that up Not a good idea. <laughs> um, yeah. So we went back. We watched Krisha. That was the name of his micro project feature. It like you know it had amazing festival success when he made it, and basically yeah launched his career. And he did it all himself, basically because he was like, I just want to do it now, and I don't want to wait to get the financing together. So we thought, oh. This is interesting. This is something people do. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we kind of looked at a few other filmmakers. I know Mike Funnigan did a similar thing. Yeah. We were like, okay, this is a path that some people have taken. It Which was to the work. Mike Flanagan one? Was that Hush or is it before that? I think before it was before Hush. that. Before Hush. Yeah. I can't remember what it was I called. I looked that up. Um, yeah. We watched it, didn't we? Yeah. Or was it? Yeah. Yeah. Of yeah. yeah. We just thought, oh, okay, this is really cool that people can do this. And then the kind of the seed was planted and we thought, yeah, all right. We're just going to do it now. <laughs> the, the, the common thread between uh, Cool Connect and The Recordist was a lot of dialogue. The Recordist was kind of us doing a hybrid. The first kind of half of The Recordist is a lot more visually driven. Mm. Um, and then it kind of uh, culminates in a long dialogue scene in a restaurant. And um, we were kind of sitting there editing that, having had this experience watching Trey's film. And, and we're like, these guys just are so engaging to watch on screen. <clears throat> we were literally sitting in the, in, in the edit going, oh, I wonder if we could kind of extend this concept out and do a very yeah, dialogue-driven, very contained film playing and, and, and growing from that restaurant scene. Yeah. You know, that would be an interesting way if we could come up with something engaging to do a feature film on a budget. Mm. Yeah. Sure have. Yeah, you, you can really feel that these films, the, the shorts are like the predecessors to this. The thread runs through. Cool. Um, not just the dialogue, but also just the cinematography, the cinematic kind of feel that you've given to something that is very dialogue heavy. Like it still feels like genre, which awesome. I think is great. Because usually when you say micro budget, dialogue yeah. heavy, two people in a room, yeah. it's not very cinematic. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But you've really imbued it with like all of that good genre goodness. Oh, thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Really feels great. like a companion piece. It feels like 10 years on when, when Brendan has 
stop yeah. thinking about doing bad things yeah. and started actually that's right. That's right. Yeah. All the records is a prequel. Yeah. We we first saw the recordist at Austin Film Festival a couple of years ago and I think at the time both Doc and I were super impressed with it mm. and had a conversation about like where your careers are going to go from from here or from there and now we see it and it's so exciting to see your names pop up in yeah. in MIF a couple of years later and to be able to go and sit down and see your, your first feature it's oh, great thank you. Oh, thank you it was the same experience as, as in the recounted before when you saw you saw yes. the other other director in there said oh yes we've got to yeah see totally them. we yeah. had that experience with yes oh, and i you. do wonder if there are some young people that are going to see your film and, and go I, you know mm. that's how you do it <laughs> start off with a micro budget film oh, some yeah. years from now that'd be cool that'd, that'd be, be amazing cool. i mean it's completely doable it's really hard obviously the hardest thing we've ever done mm. but it's no excuse I and mean, everyone says that but it's true the the turnaround time from us seriously talking about it and you writing a couple of scripts and then us committing to to this yeah. one turnaround time between kind of that first draft and shooting was like six months yeah. that's wow. insane we we yeah. essentially just started re really reversed engineered the idea yeah. based on what would be interesting with these two actors and in one location and then logistically to work out how much we could do it for it was literally as Indy would write the next draft I would be storyboarding and we'd meet back up at the end of the day and we'd cross over and you'd do all your suggestions for storyboards and we'd go in and multiple sequences that felt like they were going to be you know really hard to do in a tight amount of time with a tight budget we would pre-vis them multiple times with free software that you can get, like video game software. Yeah, um, Where right. you can like practice pre-lighting and we could literally measure out our, our set and know uh, it would be interesting, you know, we can, we can be in this corner with these kind of lenses and wow. then um, doing all that again during yeah. the development process with Max Corkendale, our amazing cinematographer. You couldn't do that 15, even 10 years ago. So we, we really could bypass a lot of our lack of experience by kind of rehearsing, not just with the actors right before the shoot, but visually rehearsing being in that space and trying to work out where do we want to be? What makes it visually interesting? Um, how are we going to use visual language to hopefully keep it cinematic? Because we yeah. knew it was so play-like by design, yeah. which is a, a big challenge, but I think everyone can do it. And it's um, definitely the best learning experience you could possibly have. We, um, yeah, we learned so much. And, I'm um, sensing a little bit of PTSD here. Oh, we? yeah, yeah. We're, we're too fresh. We're, we've, only, we've only just finished. So we're the still, trauma's too recent. We're still in it, yeah. Um, but couldn't recommend it highly enough for learning. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I think it's time to get to the crux of the show. <laughs> yes. And what exactly you'll never find me. Reminded us of Baron. Yes, and we're going to do this as a go around. So, like, we'll each have a go. You'll you can then tell us your uh, your references. Cool. Yeah. We'll do we'll do a circle a couple of times. Okay. Awesome. All right. Sounds good. Do you want to start or shall I? I'll start because I don't think mine is a particularly good one. I'm trying not to give spoilers straight away. Thank you. But it's the Hateful Eight by Quentin Tarantino, and I've chosen this purely because of the location yeah. and the storm outside, and every time the yeah. door opens you're confronted with what, what outside is. I'm just interested in how you achieved that effect on such a micro budget, because it really did feel like it was a tempest out there. Oh, great, awesome. that's good. Yes, that was a challenge. It was kind of like one of those things, again, when you make a really low budget film, it's like you shouldn't have a storm, 
The storm's really expensive <laughs> and hard to do. Um, so that was kind of a challenge. We really wanted the storm to be this ever-present, monstrous thing in the film, but we had to achieve that on a low budget. So when you actually break down the film, you really actually very rarely see rain. It's 90% done in the, in the sound design. We had a really great sound designer, Duncan Campbell, and we gave him this challenge of an hour and a half of storm that has to be there for a whole movie. He did a really good job of creating this, this monstrous presence that's always there, but that kind of is pulled back when it needs to, so you kind of forget about it and you're drawn into the two characters mm. and their conversations, and then it really comes back in when it needs to to remind people that it's there. In terms of the actual rain effects, we had like little mini rain rigs because we built the, the set in a sound stage and we had very little miniature kind of sprinkler rain rigs to go against windows. Then we had one exterior night shoot where we had rain towers out for the night um, and then it was also enhanced by VFX to kind of sell the effect a bit more, create windy trees and all that kind of stuff. But awesome. largely it's sound design and it's one of those things that on a lower budget we really wanted to lean into the sound because we knew that sound is sound is 90% of a film experience and um, you can kind of really create a world without necessarily seeing it. So Duncan did a really good job of that. Yeah, again it kind of comes down to that by necessity having to really plan. If we had kind of gone, you know, it would be good to see Storm here, it'd be good to see Storm here, and we'll just decide it in the edit, that's great. That's a really great creative way of doing it. And if you can do it, sweet, work it out in the edit. But by necessity, we just really needed to go, we feel like we can have this much gap mm. between uh, seeing it the first time, seeing it the second time, before the audience starts to not believe that it's there. It was all done very efficiently, pre-planning very specific angles to get away with it. Almost every time you see outside, from any other angle, it would look ridiculous. Yeah. It would look terrible. It's so important that you to get that right because it's like another character in the film. Yeah. That's the reason why she can't leave. Yeah. It, yeah. You know, yeah. It's, not, it's so scary oh, that you good. really can't leave, so you awesome. understand that. The other thing that reminded me of The Hateful Eight is that you're forced to be dialogue heavy and rely on great dialogue because you're trapped mm. in that room. Thank you. If the Hateful Eight is sort of the reference for the, the claustrophobia of a storm trapping everybody in, then I think my first non-spoilery one <laughs> is uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Ah, oh, mm. yes. And like if you've got a confined space yeah. where you've got an older man and a young mm -hmm. woman and there's escape is like on the mind the whole yeah. way through, yeah. I feel like you have that great dynamic between the, those two types of characters yeah. in yours as well. Awesome. Yeah, we love mm. that film. Um, and yeah, they did such a good job of, as you said, keeping interest when it's in a single location. Like, it's such a hard thing to do. And it does not cross your mind once when you watch that movie that you're in a single location. You know what I mean? Sometimes mm. you watch single location films and you're a bit like, I want to see something new because we're so used to fast cutting and scenes that last mm. for three minutes max. And now we're here and we're driving here and going here. That's just cinematic language that we're used to. Yep. So when you watch a movie that's set in a single location and that does not cross your mind, like in 10 Cloverfield Lane, it's pretty amazing. And yeah, they managed to keep the excitement up in that movie from woe to go the whole time. It's an awesome film. I love that movie. We've got a little bit of background music with um, yeah. some talking downstairs, but let's ride through it. I think There's yeah, going to yeah, be a screening coming up soon. That's what's happening <laughs> down there. I'm going to start lining up. It'll probably get noisier as we go. But we'll just, yeah, exactly. That's right. That's right. So can we throw to you too? Yeah. yeah. Maybe start with you, Wendy. Yeah. Any references that were like top of mind for you? Uh, we mentioned um, the film before, but It Comes at Night. 
We love that movie. And again, similar to what you guys were saying, it's if it's essentially a single location film. There's a lot of dialogue in that film and it also has this kind of underlying tension the whole time. You never really feel like you're bored in a single space. But the thing that we really love about the movie is that even though it's in one location and it has minimal characters, it just feels like through the dialogue and references and sound design and everything, it feels like there's a broader world around them and that things are going on in that outside world and you're kind of trapped in a little bubble. It feels like it's always meant to be in that house and in that space. It never feels like we're missing out on something else. Mm. Um, yeah, really great movie. And there are also aspects of that film like the use of practical lighting mm. that we really yeah, love. They yeah. really let true dark be dark and that doesn't happen all the time in films. Usually it's like they switch the light switch off and it's blue, you yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, who goes to sleep with that much light? <laughs> you know? But like um, they really utilise darkness in that film really well and it's so creepy and it kind of also changes the space in the lighting so it feels like you're yeah. in an interesting new location from night to day in that film but it's just literally because someone's holding a lantern now. Mm instead of sunlight filtering through the window. Yeah. Um, yeah, we love that movie. Which is, again, taking advantage of the modern technology. You couldn't, you couldn't do that with film. We literally have whole segments of the film that is lit by the actor carrying a torch mm. or a lantern. That's kind of unlocked a whole new, uh, again, visual tool for creating claustrophobia. Practically speaking, we actually had a whole section of the film where we could schedule knowing we weren't going to have to set up lights. Yeah. Which is a, a huge, it's great. huge help. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it's, <laughs> great. and it's so effective. Uh, yeah, and it was another really interesting collaboration between the actors and camera mm. because, again, they're having to be their own gaffer for, for a whole portion of it. That's great. Actually, on that note, there was a section that really reminded me of a game. I can't remember if it's Outlast or Outcast. I feel like it's Outlast. It's a horror okay. game. Have you ever come across that? No. I'm not a gamer. But... No, well... You're the only gamer here. I'm the only gamer, and I do love the horror survival yeah, genre. Yeah. Yeah. But that game's kind of famous for when the main character's being chased, the only thing that you can do is find a, a locker to go get in and oh. pull the door shut. <laughs> oh, uh, and all you can do is just see out of the little vents there uh, as yeah. somebody walks by. Uh, yeah. And so you have that, you really play on that vibe of, um, you know, a thin veil between mm. your main character and danger yeah. and the passing of danger. Yeah. Awesome. And that cool. sense of like, how far away is that danger? Is it just two steps that way or? Mm. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Mm. That lighting also lends an intimacy that, you know, makes it more like a stage play in a way. Like yeah. you, you feel like you're in there, you're part of the action or at least closer to the action. Yeah, yeah. It's a good effect. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's such an interesting tool where it both creates a sense of unease even you know if we have an, an intimate scene because you never know what is in the darkness so your imagination is mm. always working but that's right for things like this there's a card game scene yeah and it feels so intimate because nothing else feels like it exists around them hopefully you actually forget the environment you've been mm. in for the whole time and are just concentrating on their faces which of course, their faces, their amazing performances are kind of the visual effect of, yeah. the, of the film. That's, yeah. that's what we're um, selling the film on, is their, their faces and their performances. That's great. Did you have one, Joe, you wanted to throw at us? Yeah. Interestingly, your references are, are, are great and things that they're both movies that we really love. Yeah. Less directly than it comes at night, mm. but we are massive Fincher heads. We're big kind of like blocking nerds and the way that he shoots dialogue is mm. so... Uh, engaging, you know, entertaining, 
you know, obviously things like social network, a dialogue scene can feel like an action scene. But in this case, of course, Mindhunter is the best example of how to cover and handle long dialogue scenes. So again, that's right. a lot less direct mm. as opposed to it comes yeah. at night. We weren't always talking about Mindhunter because we, you know, we're playing with something very different. But Finch's use of, of how he creates a tone and tension yeah. through mm. slow camera moves and through his blocking is something that obviously we always strive yeah. towards because he's the yeah. best at it. And it's something that I think is always burnt into our brains. It's like you, That's always a reference. you're never bored in a conversation. You know, Mindhunter's just 90% people talking to each other. Yeah. You never really think about that when you're watching the show, but it is. Mm. It's hugely long dialogue sequences. Mm. And it always feels like, oh, something's about to happen. And often it doesn't. Yeah. But it's just this underlying feeling of unease in, in that show that he does so, so well. It's an awesome, awesome it's show. It's great. It's a great yeah. show. Yeah. I'm having a blank, but is Finch a Fight Club as well? Yeah. yeah. So I think Fight Club, there's a lot of things in Fight Club that yeah. <laughs> reminded me of this as far as, you know, no, I'm not going to say it yet because we haven't got to the um, spoiler, spoiler section. section. Are we allowed to do a spoiler section? I think so it's fine. We are now doing spoilers, audience. Yes. <laughs> uh, so turn off, come back later. <laughs> is it great. my turn? Yeah, it's your turn, Doc. Okay, well... I'm going to reference one of my favourite films of recent years, and that's Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Oh, yeah. You've got a, what seems to be a woman's perspective. Yeah. That woman ends up being a figment of a man's imagination. Yeah. And an amalgam of several characters. Yes. So beautifully done by Kaufman and beautifully done by, oh, by both of you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, you haven't seen the film, have you? No. No, someone else brought it up and then once they brought it up, I was like, oh my gosh, this is mm. a great reference. Kaufman plays with perspective so much in his films and that is something that we had a lot of discussions mm. about with this mm. film, about how much we could push it, how much you can get away with. And I think watching that film, it gave us a bit more, gave me a bit more confidence mm. as to how far you can push things yeah. and mm. be really creative with perspective in, in film. It brought up a lot of questions of, okay, we're presenting it as a, as a female perspective, but it's actually not. She's yeah, existing in a, in a male's perspective. And the question of, okay, how do you shoot that? Are we allowed to have a character go off into another room and exist on her own? We had a lot of conversations mm. about hallucinations versus dreams, which we talked a lot about in the film. And if you watch the film again, there's a lot more clues as to what's mm. actually happening and perspective and how we can show that in our film and technically get away with, with some things and, and it not feel like we're duping the audience. That film, I think, gave us a lot of confidence of, okay, you can just be really creative and go mm. for it. That film is so multi-layered though, my God. Complicated, isn't it? <laughs> so yeah. complicated. Yeah. And it, is, it has such a rewatchability factor that we also really wanted to kind of work into our film yeah. as much as we could. We want it to be one of those movies where you're really along for the ride and you, you know, enjoying it on the first watch, but you could watch it again and pick up on more things and go, oh, mm. okay, and have that rewatchability factor. So yeah, that's, that's an awesome movie. Mm. And he's, I mean, he's the best, he's the best writer. Uh, all I was gonna add was the reason why I haven't seen it is actually because you had already written the script yeah, and you watched it. And although that stuff is incredible because it is kind of like, not that you should need permission, but it gives you creative permission to push mm. something and you go, okay, there's a certain at least portion of the audience that is, is willing to go on that kind of journey. Yeah. yeah. There are a few references that came up as different people read the script that 
we kind of committed to not either watching them or overanalyzing them. Mm -hmm. I know this is jumping back, but with Hateful Eight, we had missed that when it was out in cinemas. And it was something that came up because of that whole, it's yeah. very dialogue driven. But again, we were really trying to not analyze things that felt at all related to our film because when something is so stripped back, we just knew it was going to be so easy for it to feel like it was copying something. Yeah. Mm. So it was a tricky balance. Let me assure you that it doesn't feel like it's okay, copying. Good. <laughs> it doesn't feel derivative in any way. Yeah. Your films are completely different. Yeah. Film, and it's just that it's got some of these yeah. jewels that yeah. you know make you think about a great yeah. film. Yeah. So that's completely awesome. a positive. It's an amazing movie, and definitely, yeah, the idea of perspective and playing with perspective is kind it. of like okay. You can do this stuff. Some people would watch I'm Thinking of Any Things and go, what the? You know, it's a really out there movie. It's not a broad film, um, that one. Like, yeah. it's, you know, not yeah. for everyone. But yeah, when sure. you like it, you kind of love it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. there's no middle ground with those kind of movies. Just <laughs> yeah. very cool, very creative writer. Crazy, insane mind of that guy. And, <laughs> All of his movies. And I guess this kind of multi-layered, uh, you know, hopefully for rewatchability um, type storytelling. 90% of our edit process was actually making it for the second watch. Yeah. yeah. And as an audience, how you drop those things in for the rewatch mm. yeah. really is effective because in our first watch, you're sort of seeing things and you can't quite, and hearing things, yeah. and can't quite place, you know, you feel like there's meaning all around you, but you can't quite access it yet. Mm. I, I feel that whatever strategies you've done to yeah. layer it, have been successful. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah, you. yeah. It was a lot of testing. Wasn't Trial it? and error. And yeah. especially in the sound design stage. And we always knew we were going to do a lot with sound, a lot with Duncan. Uh, the other thing was watching movies. We were referencing Fight Club and stuff like that. You know, um, Shutter Island was another one. Yeah. Watching, watching movies that you know have a big old twist in them, yeah. and going, okay, I'm I'm pretending I've never seen this film before the amount of heavy-handed clues that they put in that film that you just mm. do not think about the first yeah. time you watch it is amazing. So we did a lot of that and went, oh my God, how do we not think of this when we're first watching this film? Mm. It's yep. really interesting what people just don't pick up on when you're watching something for the first time. Mm. Um, and we tested a few things that we went too far yes. around and people did notice stuff, especially yeah. again in sound design. Yeah. But we actually ended up with some pretty overt yeah. um, clues when you re-watch it. And that's not to say I'll ever have a clear idea of, of how overt they are. It's just we did things that we were like, well, <laughs> we should test this out of interest, but obviously this is it's way too, too far. Yeah. There's some pretty crazy stuff in the sound design. There's a lot of stuff in the storm. That was a much bigger challenge mm. then for Duncan than just a storm. There's a lot in there that had to be not noticeable yeah. in the first watch, but hopefully something you do start to pick up on. But like if you pay, play the movie backwards, it tells you what's going on. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's layered right. into the sound. That's right. Yeah, great. Yeah, that's right. It's that, like, that like Googly's <laughs> order from Spy Kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Help us, save us. Yeah, we've got that in there somewhere. I hope Spy Kids 1 was the was yeah. one of your Spy references. Spy Kids 1 is definitely one of my references. Damn it, I've got to cross that off the yeah, list. That's right. That's right. Like Paul is well, dead in the Beatles too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. You exactly. play something backwards. You yeah, yeah. It's like summoning the devil or whatever. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw back 20 years to uh, a John Cusack film. Okay. I'm curious if this was on your list. You were just a baby 20 years ago. I was. No, I was still. <laughs> I was still an adult. <laughs> um, identity. 2003, John Cusack. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the rundown. Yeah. We are trapped in a 
I think it's a motel in a heavy rainstorm. We have heard about oh, this film. Yeah. Now that you said motel, I have, we haven't seen oh, yes. it, but we have heard this reference. Yes. Ten strangers are there and they start getting knocked off one at a time. Yeah. And the big twist is that you realize they're actually all one personality. Yeah. Right. And they are the multi-facets of someone with uh, multiple personalities. Right. Yeah, cool. Mm. Hilariously, how we actually ended up hearing about that film wasn't in prep or in reference to the film. We were in sound design looking for scenes and movies that had intense Loud knocking. door yeah. knocking out of nowhere, which is a part of our film. Clips of that kept coming yeah, up. Yeah, and we're like, what is this film? Ten Strangers in it? And then we, I went and then read the synopsis. I'm like, oh my God, we should watch this because this feels quite relevant to our movie. <laughs> Again, went straight on the list of, okay, we can't look at this. Don't yeah. look at it well yeah. after the movie, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, would you yes. recommend it? It's been 20 years since yeah. I've seen it, uh, yeah. but it stuck with me. I think it might be a little B grade in some respects, but also kind of great at the same yeah, time. Cool. No, it's worth it. It's good. It's a good ride. Your knocking, by the way, was terrifying. Good, good. Yeah. Thanks, Duncan. Yes, thanks, Duncan. Yeah. Duncan knocked it out of the park. <laughs> yeah, he did. Duncan's going to be very famous very soon, <laughs> yeah. and we won't ever be able to have access to him. Yeah. He's amazing. He's yes. very, very Duncan good. You remind him that he's always, you know, we'll, be, we'll work on your project. <laughs> we, yeah. should have, we should you have a little him. stipulation in the contract <laughs> that's like, must do sound work on <laughs> all of our feature films. Remember <laughs> who gave point. you that great project yeah. that launched your career. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. We've been saying it the whole time, mm. how amazing and thankful we are to have found Duncan. Gave our, our film a whole nother layer of production value oh, for God, something yeah. that is very small. I think yeah. it feels a lot bigger and very cinematic. Beautiful. And vice versa. He should be happy to have found you both as well. Good job, yeah, Duncan. That, well Duncan. picked. It starts with yeah. good material, Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> Did you two have any, any others that you thought worth mentioning? It's technically not a film, but something that we looked at a lot was the famous Two Storms, called Two Storms episode of Haunting of Hill House, the Mike Flanagan show. And there's a great single take episode of, of that show where I guess it's like a bottle app, isn't it? Where yeah. there's kind of two timelines running at once in this one episode and you kind of divert from the usual pace and storytelling style of the show to kind of sit in this episode that is just conversations. It's just conversations taking place during a mammoth storm. The I sound can't remember design that episode. I know the show well. Awesome. But... Episode yeah. six. Okay. Episode six, yeah. they're in a funeral home. Oh yeah, I do remember, and then, yeah. And they're also in the, the house they're being haunted in the funeral home and it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a single take. Yeah. yeah, I do remember that. It's okay. absolutely yeah. epic and the sound design is so cool. And we literally were just watching it from a practical perspective of, okay, when a character walks near a glass window, oh, it sounds different here. And then they walk into a larger area and you can hear it echoing. And what makes this storm so scary? And we sat there and we watched it and we watched it and went, oh, that boom and that distant thunder sounded really cool. What mm. about that is creepy? just from a really practical way of going, okay, what makes a storm scary and what makes it just background sound? What are the differences? So That's cool. an awesome, awesome And, the, and there's kind of, of like a fantastical element to the design of the sound of the storm yeah. that was very dreamlike, that yeah. we took a lot of inspiration from. And Mike Flanagan's stuff in general, he has the scary, creepy stuff going on all the time and everything that he makes, but uh, he has a lot of monologues as well. Mm. So it was kind of just interesting to see someone else using monologues in a thriller horror territory and just how you do that and how you pull it off, but also keep tension up there. I'm really struck by the amount of, well, it's like you've, you've, you know, you've gone out, you've identified the, the filmmakers and the films and the shows that are close 
to what you're trying to do. And you've really put the work ethic into like analyzing what they've done, what works and what mm -hmm. doesn't. It's a lesson for, for all filmmakers, I would say. It's just us going, how do you make a film? Yeah. How do these guys do it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like we learnt so much from doing it. Yeah. Uh, we learn a lot of stuff that we won't do again and we've got stuff that we'll lean into even heavier next time. But obviously the most effective thing in our you know, opinion of having done one thing, by the way, so take this with a grain of salt. <laughs> but um, of course, it's like obviously watching the people who are the best in the world at their craft. You're going to hopefully pick up some things. You're going to copy the best in the world and, well, <laughs> and maybe you'll you know, get to a 10%. 40% yeah. and hopefully hopefully that's enjoyable. These well, two that's... are too modest. I don't like this copy language. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, Stephen King always talks about us all drinking from the same pool. And, yeah. I, and I think that's what our show is all about. I mean, it's yeah. the fact yeah. that we all take from, yeah. from others and we yeah. all learn from others and then we take those things and we turn them into our own and that's yeah. the reality. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all mm. kind of reinterpreting different ideas and then you try and push certain things one way or the other and again take people's reactions to gauge what worked and what didn't. Everyone references for suspense Hitchcock an assignment is that we need to, uh, go, we need to go and watch yeah. a lot of Hitchcock but we've actually watched hardly any Hitchcock but really through people like Fincher yeah. who studied Hitchcock, we really have seen a lot of yeah. Hitchcock because yeah. everyone by osmosis is reinterpreting and taking elements of that and, mm. and um, putting their own twists on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the history of film is, is the language that everyone's yeah. using. So that's yeah. all you've got in a way. Yeah. It's just a matter of picking bits. Have you seen Rope? Because it's a single location yeah. film. Yeah. 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 When I was researching single locations that came up a lot and yeah, conversations in a single location, but we haven't watched I it. think you would love it. Yeah. You would yeah. Love it. yeah. yeah. Another, another one people have said, another classic, is 12 Angry Men. Because I think it's real consecutive time, even. Yeah, I don't know. So, haven't anyway, seen it. Very dialogue-driven yeah. classic. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to go one more round? Do we have any more references? Um, there are lots of bits and bobs from things, but they're probably the closest. A film that means a lot to us is Enemy. Have you guys oh, yeah. seen Enemy? Yes. Denis Villeneuve's film yeah. with Jake Gyllenhaal that they just snuck in before making Prisoners. You know, just casually making one of the best movies of all time. We love Prisoners. Yeah, We're hard, Prisoners is amazing. Hardcore fans. Um, but that is nuts. And that plays with the interpretation of perspective and your main character's mind yeah. uh, in a really interesting way. That film, we finished watching. We loved the experience of it, which is important, remembering to make the experience the first time hopefully as engaging as possible and we're trying to keep that in mind and not just be like, clue, clue, clue. <laughs> that movie we had to talk about for a long time we had no and we idea. had to go and watch YouTube videos and people <laughs> yeah. explaining it. And then watch it again and go, oh, okay. That's right. <laughs> but that is a film where they knew it would not be for everyone yeah. and they knew that whole portions of the audience wouldn't know the creative direction that they were taking it, but they just developed their own internal logic and really committed. Yeah. And at the end of the day, obviously it's tricky because it's commercial, yeah. like, like you need to make something commercially and you know, they have Jake Gyllenhaal so they can, they can sell it off his face, but that is an arty movie. Yeah. And at the, end of, you know, at the end of the day, it's also art. So it's a tricky balance, but that to us is just one of the bravest films ever. And we love 
that some people hate it and mm. the people who love it really love it and yeah. we're definitely in that camp of, yeah. it's one of our favourite films yeah. I've never seen it it's the only Villeneuve film that I haven't seen I think I'm, have to I'm in, the, yeah. I'm in the pro camp it's a great film great yeah. reference Would I highly recommend yeah okay yeah. great I recommend. absolutely I like everything else he's made so oh, yeah. why wouldn't awesome. I say yeah. that <laughs> we always get homework out of this bloody show yeah <laughs> it's good nice, I feel nice. like we've gotten some too yeah so that's, right. that's yeah. right I think we should stop going around I think you you were pitching to say one oh yeah but you know Go do Just, it quickly. Yeah, last, I want to hear. Last night in Soho. Edgar oh, Wright's Yeah, film. yeah. We love that movie. Okay. Uh, Duncan did work on Duncan, that movie. Yeah. Really? Did. Yeah. Fully? Fully? I think we could be yeah. wrong. But yes. There you go. I'm glad I said it. Awesome okay. movie. Super duper energetic. Edgar Wright growing up. Hot fuzz. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my top five movies of all time. I will say that I don't think Last Night in Solo uh, in Soho is my favourite of his films, yeah. but it's still great. There's a lot of parallels to what you've done with this film. I think in that movie, the super creative sound design in that mm. movie, um, and they have some really creepy, uh, that I hadn't really heard before, like echoey voice effect, you know. That's to, a lovely name. That's a lovely name, you know, yeah. that's so cute. It really creepy <laughs> and unnerving. Yeah. I hadn't heard anything like that before. Yeah, sound design wise, like, his interpretation of what does it sound like to be in a dream. So cool. Yeah, cool. awesome. Yeah. You had one last one, so I'm going to do a okay, really great. quick one. Do it. I'll do it quickly. Yeah, the yeah. Machinist, that film with Christian Bale, Christian Bale yeah. when, he, when he loses all the weight for it. A man haunted by his past. Yeah. He's hallucinating with, with different people from his past Again, appearing. we're the worst film fans in the world. We haven't, haven't seen, seen it. it. I thought no. you were about to say Duncan worked on it. Yeah, no, haven't, have you seen it? You haven't seen it? No, no, I know, the, I know, I the, assumed you hadn't I know the premise though, and I think it sounds like it, it plays a lot with perspective and like kind of, you know, leading the audience down a garden path and then pulling the rug out. Um, yeah. yeah, we need to watch that movie. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks so much for having us. This is a lot of fun.